Welcome to Best Bin Ice Cream Stand. My name is Josh O'Rourke, and with me as always, don't everybody thank him at once, Benny Campbell Ferguson. <laughs> Solo. Thank you, Josh. It's good to be back. And it's, uh, I, uh, yeah, I never thought I would watch Solo again after 2018, <laughs> and yet here we are, and while I'm not a, a fan of the film, I, I, I actually did uh, get some enjoyment out of it, and I'm looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, sorry uh, in advance and after. Um, it seemed like since we did all nine of the movies, we had to kind of sprinkle in some of the other movies, too. This is episode two of season two, and we're talking about Solo, a Star Wars story, which uh, is a little long of a title. Um, that said, we were talking before the show, and I, I know how you feel about the movie already, so I'll go first and say I'm giving it a one and a half star. Having said that, uh, I, I know that you feel the same way, not to steal your thunder. No, it's, it's true, yeah. I, I would give it one and a half star because I think the film is pretty aggressively mediocre. Uh, but, but at the same time, I, I every time I've watched it, I've seen it three times total now. I've, I've had fun each time in spite of its flaws. So so the half star is, is the fun, <laughs> you know, the... <laughs> Yeah, one and a half, but you're on notice. Yeah, oh, oh, <laughs> hell yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, for me, I, I really enjoyed it, but it was a little too action-y. I think particularly the set pieces where they're getting the unrefined coaxium and then towards the end kind of got bogged down. But I did really like some of the character moments. I thought that some of the new characters were intriguing. Maybe not on their own, but I kind of want to know like where they fit in the Star Wars universe and where they're headed, particularly Crimson Dawn, Darth Maul, where's Kira headed next, that kind of thing. So that would be super fascinating to to see that in like a TV show or some other medium. Well, actually, I, I just heard today, or maybe it was yesterday, but, th but there is going to be a comic book that's going to feature Kira heavily, which it's exciting oh, nice. they're not letting that drop. Cause you know what? Yeah, I, I, I'm not like a, a real Star Wars fan, quote unquote, because I know that they've talked about Crimson Dawn and stuff and some other stuff uh, in some other comic series. I think the Dr. Aphra series, which I haven't really touched. I've just sort of seen around uh, mentions it a bit. Um, also, uh, there's a Bounty Hunter series that we talked about like 10 episodes ago, and, and that sort of has something to do with it. I just don't know to what extent. I, I guess my first question the movie's directed by Ron Howard. Do you feel like this is a Ron Howard movie to you? Or does it feel like it's a director for hire and it's a committee movie? Yeah, I think it does feel like a a, a committee movie because I feel like I, I want to talk about the cinematography because I feel like the cinematography is kind of the key to understanding just what a misguided mess this film was. And it actually has a great cinematographer, uh, Bradford Young, who uh, he 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 shot Ava DuVernay's Selma. He shot Denis Villeneuve's Arrival. He did beautiful work on both films. But he was uh, hired by the original uh, directors Phil Lord and Chris Miller of Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs and Twenty One Jump Street fame and, and Lego Movie. Can't forget yes, that. Yes, the Lego Movie. And also, real quick, uh, shout out to uh, Mitchell's vs. the Machines on Netflix. They produced that, and uh, it's pretty good, actually. Pretty darn good. Well, and then I, I think the, the thing that I have a problem with is that w with Bradford Young, 
they worked out a really, really bizarre visual uh, approach. I mean, it, it kind of defies belief, frankly. Like, the whole movie is incredibly faded and murky and gray. And, 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 and frankly, like, it not only is it unpleasant to look at, but sometimes it's hard to even see what's going on. It's so shadowy. And uh, I, I, I think that uh, when Ron Howard came aboard to do reshoots, I, I expect he had to kind of match that aesthetic. Whereas if like Ron Howard had done this movie from the ground up, you know, it wouldn't have looked like that. You know, he would have, uh, you know, hired one of the cinematographers he's uh, worked with in the past, probably like Anthony Dodd Mantle, with whom he had a great collaboration on on Rush. And, and I, I think that, you know, had Ron Howard directed this movie from the, the get go, it would have been a much uh, a much better film, a much cleaner film. Uh, it, it, I mean, and also, <laughs> I think if, if, if it had been like a pure Ron Howard film, it probably also would have been a lot sappier, <laughs> which yeah, maybe that would true. have been a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to get into it too much, but I, I do lament the movie that could have been. Because I think if they brought, uh, you know, Phil Lord and Chris, well, shit, what's his name? Phil Lord and Chris Miller? No, no, I'm saying that wrong. Yeah, yeah, Chris Miller, yeah. Oh, Chris Miller, okay. I think if Phil Lord and Chris Miller had their sort of sensibility and, like, knack for fun uh, completely on display, it could have been a really fun movie. But I think instead they're trying to make it too Star Wars saga-y. Um, yes. So the the movie they're trying to make the movie feel like all the other Star Wars movies, which is a big mistake. I think they really could have branched out and made a more colorful, crazy movie. I think Lando could have been uh, a, even more outlandish. I think they could have leaned more into the the idea of him having this crazy, you know, cape collection, which I I know bothered you, but I I kind of liked it. I confess. <laughs> uh, and then also uh, recording his life story like like a sociopath. Like, I, I love that. And I, I hope to see that kind of thing in the uh, TV show they announced last year. Well, that stuff was uh, was fun. I mean, especially the recording his life story bit, because there's a sense that, that Donald Glover was, was very organically kind of creating a vision of Lando that was sort of coming partly from Billy D. Williams and partly from him. You know, really leaning into this idea of Lando is this ultra refined guy who who likes the more elegant things in the the galaxy, mm -hmm. and, and there's a real suaveness to him that that feels feels alive and feels unique and eccentric, you know, uh, chapter whatever of the Calrissian Chronicles. You know, he's a he's, he's a funny <laughs> guy. Whereas like like Alden Ehrenreich, as much as I like him, and I and I liked him quite a bit in uh, Hail Caesar. He was great in a small part in that. Uh, here it kind of feels like he's just sort of like mechanically hitting notes like that that moment when he says you know we've got the pilot and points at himself like i feel like <laughs> that moment feels so forced i can practically hear him thinking i will now do my cute harrison fordish thing <laughs> yeah and, and and that's the thing a lot of the times it felt like a harrison ford impression for me his accent sort of sounded like a british person not quite nailing an american accent it was just a little too over enunciated at times for me. Which, in that case, you know, it's like if you're going to insist on it, why not just hire a British guy? You know, Andrew Garfield is Han Solo. Oh wait, no, don't. That'd be the worst thing ever. 
another uh, modern Spider-Man series burn from Bennett Campbell Ferguson. <laughs> Find oh, more God, at Spidey awesome. Scenes. I'm going to keep them coming. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the problem with the whole movie to me is a lot of the characters felt a little generic. It felt like you had to have the love interest. You had to have the bounty hunter with the heart of gold who's also going to betray you in the end, but he also isn't, but he is. Uh, Paul Bettany is always great in everything, but he was sort of in a thankless role as the villain. Yeah. And yeah, even Phoebe Waller. I, I thought Phoebe Waller was a good choice for L3, but I would have liked to have seen more even. I think I think it was still not the most nuanced um character moments from from a lot of these side characters well i think there's a real mistake that like kind of a modern era lucasfilm makes which is that they really approach star wars like like mad libs like since you know the original trilogy had funny droids you know every star wars thing must have a funny droid so we had to have alan tudyke in uh in rogue one we had to have phoebe waller uh bridge in uh solo and it just it feels like a very very like overdetermined, and you can only have so many funny you know cutesy droids before the whole thing becomes totally stale. And I mean, and again, this is like something the Mandalorian does uh, does better than a lot of the current stuff, which is a uh, like yeah, we had Taika Waititi's IG droid in the first season, but I don't think there was a main character droid in the the second season so it's like like look you can you can you can not have a major droid character and 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 people won't freak out you know like yeah but then you have to put a baby yoda in there yeah yeah <laughs> that's that's well that's fair yeah <laughs> i mean that that's my you know wannabe criticism of disney there's got to be something cute in there one thing that like i've been been thinking about is is the idea of a i almost feel like I mean, let me back up. Like, when people talk about this movie, like, they kind of fixate on, to my mind, things that aren't the the real problem. Like, they'll say, like, oh, that was so stupid when the Imperial officer was like, Han Solo, that's your name. And and yes, that is stupid. But but I feel like that stuff is really just kind of symptoms of a larger problem, which is that, like, is the idea of a Han Solo movie even good in, in the first place. I mean, would it be fair that Han Solo is really only interesting, like in relation to Luke and Leia, not as his own character? Because like, to me, what always fascinated me about him was the idea that he's kind of the personification of cynicism and compared to the idealism of the other characters and that he grows in relation to that. And like, and once you take all that away, how is he different than just like any kind of random you know, member of the Star Wars Rogues Gallery. Yeah, I mean, I, I that's I think it was a big mistake to make a movie about Han because he is everyone's favorite character, but only in that context. Absolutely. I I think now, in retrospect, everybody can say that. At the time when they announced the Han Solo movie, I still feel like people. I think people would have been excited about it, and I, I can't remember actually. You probably have a better memory than I do of it. I don't remember being excited. I remember thinking, like, that seems like a weird choice for a Star Wars movie. I mean, like, like I remember, like, kind of being baffled in general by the concept of the anthology films. Because I, I just kept feeling that, like, that's not really Star Wars. Like, like I mean, Star Wars to me is, is not about the little, uh, 
you know, doing like movies about every goddamn little side story. Like Star Wars <laughs> to me is, you know, big, uh, epic, you know, like almost Shakespearean in nature films. And then the other stories, you can tell those in the comics, you can tell them in the the novels. But like, like I don't know that I want to see like the, the Star Wars version of like an X-Men spinoff, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like I don't think no, it's built I... for that. I feel you on that. Absolutely. And also, I don't need to know the backstory of everyone. I think it's a big mistake, A, to make this movie probably, but B, to do the three years later thing just so that we spend a half hour making us feel bad for Han. Like, to me, that's lazy storytelling. Yeah, you can have flashbacks. That's fine. I don't think it's necessary in this. It's the same reason why episode two would have been a better start for this prequel trilogy when you jump into the action and then you call back to you know, to the trauma of childhood. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's really true. And the, the, I mean, the one thing about the beginning that I did like was I, I sort of liked the simplicity as a setup that, you know, it's, it's just about a guy trying to get back to a girl, but then they even screw that up by like bringing Kira, you know, back into the, the story so quickly and that that kind of takes away Han's main motivation. I mean, this this is really dark, but I think it would be a better movie if like he spends the whole movie trying to get back to Kira, and then at the end he comes back to Corelli and she's dead, and you know he's he's emotionally destroyed. Like that would uh, that would make more sense and be more more yeah, and it would show focused. why he's like a cynical a hole and why it's a bigger uh, character change and, and a new hope for him to suddenly trust and love again yeah yeah or what if like it's kind of a uh almost like more of a femme fatale kind of thing because like like kira's uh to me like her her moral compass is never in doubt and that's what makes the character not very interesting because i always read the ending as like she she doesn't go with han because she she needs to lie about what happened to protect him from darth maul and so it, it but if if Kira really did betray Han in some meaningful way, I mean that would really like explain you know why he's uh, he's so jaded in the original trilogy. Yeah, yeah, it feels like all the characters are just quote unquote good. Even Woody Harrelson's character Bennett, uh, Bennett, <laughs> Bennett Campbell Ferguson. Even Woody Harrelson's friend. What am I trying to say? I can't talk anymore. Even Woody Harrelson's character Beckett, even when he backstabs them you don't feel like there's a sense of stakes and i know i always say that in every episode but it feels like inevitable and like oh well, of course he's going to betray them and they're going to reverse that it doesn't ever feel like there there's a problem obviously he's not going to kill chewbacca or whatever but like they they could have played that a different a different way where maybe han doesn't get everything he wants and i know like he doesn't get the girl or whatever but otherwise he sort of weirdly does have closure and a happy ending i mean there's a there's a tidiness to it and uh yeah i i don't know like it, it just it just doesn't feel like like much is at stake and, and i feel like that may be the problem because i mean i mean the prequels for all their 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 flaws like those those movies felt so much more urgent than uh solo or uh, or even rogue one arguably I mean, I mean, Revenge of the Sith, like that, you really, 
I mean, I mean, almost unbelievably, in spite of Hayden Christensen's terrible acting, like Anakin's fall from grace. Whoa, whoa, whoa! We got we got to talk about Natalie Portman and a few other people too. <laughs> I, I, will, enough, I will not. Enough. I will not go to the math for for this movie, but I will say I I think I I just finished reading the book George Lucas by John J. Oh God, you probably know more than I do. John J. Jones? No, that's not right. Well, uh, what, what, Brian, somebody, but Brian J. Brian J. Jones. That's what it is. Yeah. See, I knew you would know. I just finished that, and it talks about the prequel trilogy, and that's sort of the idea. And we've talked about it before of how what what if a mad genius can make uh, a movie with absolutely all creative control and nobody pushing back, and that was the prequel trilogy to some degree. Uh. Point being, I, I am I'm rambling. I'm sorry. This has nothing to do with Solo. But I will say I blame George Lucas for the acting more than, than anyone else. Especially because oh. his scripts were turned in sort of right before filming in a lot of cases. And so the actors didn't have any time with it anyway. Yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm glad you, you pointed that out because that's a, a totally, totally uh, – a uh, fair thing to bring up because uh, I mean, I mean, I mean, George Lucas quite honestly has a history of being a terrible director of actors, even going back to when he was still making a, a good films. I mean, you know, back when he was working <laughs> on American Graffiti, I mean, he was he was not helping those actors. You know, he was he kind of left them for his uh, left them to their own devices. Well, but but the reason you know uh, Ron Howard and Richard Dreyfus and uh, a, a number of, of other you know great actors who were in that film, the reason they didn't suffer the fate of like Natalie Portman and Hayden Christensen was because for one thing they were very strong, well they were very talented, they managed to assert some personality, and for another thing, they weren't stranded in front of a green screen. They were you know in a real town at night on location, and so they. They weren't. They had like all all the you know tools that an actor needs. You know, an environment to react to. And so I I think I think that's what changed. And then, then of course there's the fact that uh, uh, I believe uh, Gloria Katz and Willard Pike uh, did a rewrite on yes. American Graffiti. And whereas uh, I mean I know that Attack of the Clones was uh, <laughs> was rewritten too by Jonathan Hales, but. But, but clearly that rewrite didn't do much for that movie. <laughs> no, no, there wasn't a lot of pushback. One fun uh, Attack of the Clones fact that I liked was uh, he was working, George Lucas was writing Attack of the Clones um, in later 99, and he titled it Episode 2, Jar Jar's Great Adventure. You know, when people hated Jar Jar. He, he, he tried to course correct um, based on the criticism of Episode 1, and I think that's really fascinating. Because he considers himself this great artist and a great editor and a great storyteller and manipulator, uh, and yet was petty enough to read reviews and be like, "Okay, I better not do this and I better not do that." <laughs> this this is why, like, um, like I like George Lucas so many of the <laughs> so much better than than a lot of the directors who are working on Star Wars now. Like, I, I mean, you you listen to like interviews with with J.J. Abrams and and Ryan Johnson, and they sound like so sincere and, 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 and wholesome. And they like, 
they conceal their demons very effectively. Whereas I like how George Lucas, I mean, maybe it's just because he's been around for so long, but you know, his vulnerabilities are, are kind of, a kind of, a kind of on display. And, and I like that, that that's, that I don't know, that's the case. I mean, I have a lot of affection for him. I mean, I mean maybe that's because he's an old man now and he's kind of like, I don't give a fuck, but I, I don't know. I feel like George Lucas was always like, like in a weird way, kind of this, this rebel, like, like, like foisting, you know, his, his, all his, like his personality, his eccentricity on, onto the world. And sometimes we loved it. And sometimes we, uh, we hated it, but there, there was always a, there was always a, a purity to it. You know, that it was, that you always felt like it was the truth, I guess. It was still for the sake of, you know, quote unquote, making art. You know, he saw himself as an artist and he took that seriously, even if he didn't take all the elements uh, as seriously or with the reverence like acting that he should have. But I think we'll get into that more in our George Lucas episode. I, I will say. Oh, I, I can't wait. I, yeah. You're, you're pretty accurate. At, le at least my take on it is that at least since the feature film THX 1138 he has been anti big studio and and pro independent filmmaker um i don't want to completely you know sabotage this episode with george lucas but i i will say he has probably been the same person he's just probably a little more willing to talk about it now you know now yeah. he's an old man yeah I think that's I think that's probably true. I mean, I mean, and in fairness to uh, you know the, the the newer directors, when when J.J. Abrams is that on is that age, you know, maybe he'll be you know doing tell-all interviews where he's like, "You won't believe the nervous breakdown I had on the set of The Rise of Skywalker and Daisy Ridley threw coffee in my face." <laughs> no, not that that <laughs> happened. I'm just <laughs> no. You've heard it here first. Ben has called it. You can quote him. <laughs> I just listened to um, Smartless, which is the uh, the podcast with uh, Will Arnett, Jason Bateman, and um, oh my God, what's his name from Will and Grace, and Sean Hayes. Oh yeah, and they um, it's really fluffy and it's a lot of softball questions and asking about family. And I would say like half the questions are, are kind of things you either know or don't care about. Having said that. They did just release the J.J. Abrams episode last week, and um, I thought it was kind of interesting Ooh. because I feel like J.J. Abrams is – he believes in the positivity of his films. But if you listen, under the surface, you can tell there are some projects that he wasn't, you know, he wasn't satisfied with. He doesn't say what, and I, like you said, he probably will someday. But uh, I'd be really curious about his Star Wars experience. Yeah, I mean, I would too. And and I, I think w one thing I've noticed is that uh, that something like the, the 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 crew members like talk more freely about this kind of thing. Like like Marion Brandon and Mary Jo Markey, mm -hmm. uh, the the who have edited most of J.J. Abrams' films, they've been a lot more candid than than he has been. Like I, I heard a podcast where they were just like shitting all over star trek into darkness even, even though they edited <laughs> it like they were like yeah that con thing was really stupid <laughs> you know and so 
I mean, yeah, you hope to make the best movie you possibly can, but uh, a lot of them are, you know, shit burgers. Yeah, yeah, but uh, you know, but 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 J.J. Abrams, and and maybe one day we should do a J.J. Abrams episode as, as well. I think uh, mm. I don't know, like like un like in, in contrast to Solo, which is a like a very much a Frankenstein movie that feels like sort of like a compromise between Lucasfilm and Lord and Miller and Ron Howard. I think all of J.J. Abrams' films have been been really, really from his heart, you know, the good and the bad. And, and if yeah. you think about it, all his films are uh, are about death <laughs> in some way. Like, he's hmm. actually, deep down, I, I think, you know, very like, kind of raw, emotional person. And, and, and all his films deal with, with grief in, in some way. And that's, uh, I don't know, that that's... That's why I feel like, like even if you know he's not as original as George Lucas, he has his own like kind of preoccupations that that work their way into all the films. That's interesting. At some point, I'll have to challenge you on that, <laughs> but not today. Not I look today. forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, speaking of hack directors, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did really like the shout out. Uh, the, there's a line when um, when Captain Bennett. I keep saying Bennett. Damn it. Freudian <laughs> <laughs> slip. Yeah, exactly. I like I like the scene though where Captain Beckett is talking to somebody and they say, You killed Aura Singh. Was it that was Lando, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I thought like, oh that's cool. I remember that name that Googled it. I was like, Oh yeah, I know that character. I almost bought an action From figure. The Padres. I the one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I loved I love those little bits, but also I, I hate them because it's so, like, clean. Sort of, like, you the, you have to have these moments of interconnectivity. Kind of like how, well, of course, Han Solo knows a little Wookiee, and he speaks it. Which, to me, that was a little silly. I, I like the idea that he understands Wookiee and can hear certain words and be like, this is what he said. The fact that he speaks it was kind of stupid. I, I have to shit on that a little bit. Well, yeah, that is a great segue because I, I believe like the official expanded universe lore prior to the prequels was that, that Han Han was indeed like an imperial officer, and the the the, the Wookies were enslaved, and that he took pity on Chewie and freed him, and was uh, was stripped of his command as a result, which I, I feel like is is a much better storyline than what we have in the movie, which is Han just kind of randomly is, is thrown into the same cell as, uh, as Chewie. And basically like what could have been a really poignant thing that like kind of deals with Han's moral compass and his innate goodness basically gets turned into a joke, you know? Yeah. It's like they're friends out of, out of, no, that, that, that gives it too much credit. I was going to say out of necessity. It's like Han befriended Chewie so he wouldn't die. He did it for selfish reasons. It doesn't come from a good character moment. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I mean, I feel like uh, uh, there's that moment when when Kira says, you know, Oh Han, I'm the only person in the galaxy who knows you who you are. You're the good guy, and it's like, well, let's see more evidence of that. Yeah, show he... us. Don't tell us that, a hole yeah. directors or writers or whoever. I I don't know who to blame. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like. Yeah, I mean, like we we don't need the, 
we don't need Daenerys to to spell it all out for us. Yeah, you know, that should be like evident in his actions. Absolutely, absolutely. But you, yeah, yeah, that was like their big hero moment, and it, it that bugged me. Uh, another thing that bugged me, slash, I loved. I love that they shout out Knights of the Terrace Kasi to death. I think that's such a great like use of sort of extended universe. And I grew up playing that game and it's super shitty and the graphics are awful, but it's still amazing. I had a, a demo for, of it and I think you could only play as Luke Skywalker in Return of the Jedi versus Luke Skywalker in Return of the Jedi. Uh, feel free to email me if, uh, if I'm completely wrong, but I, I, I think that was the only character you could play as. Um, and so I loved that they kind of referenced that. I hated that they copped out for the action scene and they just showed Kira's cape flying and then they said, wow, I've never seen that before. Like, come on, show us some cool like Muay Thai move or something. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, that's that's another problem with this film that like all the action is very much reliant on the the special effects it's it's a lot of like big vehicles speeding and crashing and exploding and, and i'm always like advocating for uh for more more physical action like i just uh yeah. i just the other day I, I went to an early screening of uh sean she and the legend of the ten rings which is easily the best marvel film since black panther in my opinion and like the big wow. reason why is that the action is it's all physical, like it's except for a ridiculous finale. But but it's all like you know punching and leaping, and it's it relies on people's bodies. And I would have thought that a Han Solo movie actually would have been more of an opportunity to, you know, bring the the fights more down to earth since he's not a Jedi or yeah. anything. And yet they feel like more more out in space, like more more of a light show, even than usual. No, it's a good point. It's sort of like the Mandalorian does it well, and I think like you know Firefly does it incredibly well too. And that idea yes. of these like space cowboys just having like shootouts, and there's a real sense of uh, immediacy to it. Like they could get shot and die, whereas in Solo it's a little too slick. It doesn't seem like there's any sense of danger, and everybody ha has cool tricks up their sleeve. It isn't just people trying to shoot and get out. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's a, it, it's kind of funny. Like, like it, at the beginning, they kill John Favreau, they kill Tandy Newton, almost to be like, "See, we mean business." You know, anyone can die. And it's like, yeah, any <laughs> like random character who like doesn't have an established part in the lore can die. But you know, yeah, at least be like, "I'm the father of Boba Fett." Oh no. <laughs> I don't know. So <laughs> something else. <laughs> the glory days of Django being decapitated. That was uh, that was really good. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, okay, let's talk good things. There's not a lot, but there's a few things I I really enjoyed. Uh, one, I actually really like the soundtrack. I like the nods to the original trilogy, but they still expand, and they're not as blatant as you would think. Though there are what four or five moments where it's like, wait, I know that. It never, never devolves into just like a five-minute Star Wars, you know, tribute. Yeah, I really liked it when they uh, they showed the Star Destroyer, and you hear bum 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 bum. It's like, oh my gosh! 
that's one of the reasons these kind of one-shot movies can work is is giving nods to the other movies without just trying to be the other movies. Yes. Um, yeah. What else? What else? Uh, I love the Warwick Davis cameo. Oh it, yeah, it's so blatant. It's like like the state is frozen on him for a second. You're like, wait a minute, I know you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I kind of like how they set up. I like obviously they wanted to do sequels based on the way they made this movie. I, I like how they set up the Darth Malkira thing, but I also like how they set up the uh, the big job with Jabba on uh, Tatooine. I, I like that they sort of hint at it, and you're like, oh, well, that's obviously what Han's going to do next, and then that's going to haunt him for the rest of his life, pretty much. Yeah. What, I thought it was kind of funny that, like, when Beckett's saying goodbye, he's like, uh, like uh, if you get out of here alive, find me on Tatooine. And, of course, you realize later that Beckett was just saying that, uh, you know, think knowing he was going to betray him. But then Han ends up actually going to Tatooine, so it's yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's yeah. some like major pretzel logic there. It's, it's funny. <laughs> no, it's definitely a. We have to get from point A to point B. What's the easiest way? We have to finish the script by tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't know. That didn't bug me. Um, and yeah, like Darth Maul. I, I don't pay attention too much to the uh, you know, Clone Wars EU kind of stuff. I know he survives. Uh, as part of canon, you know, when, when she survives Qui-Gon Jinn's cutting him in half, uh, which to me just reminds me what's wrong with the prequel trilogy in the first place, which is just have Darth Maul be the villain for all three of the prequel trilogies, you know, movies. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's true. Yeah, I mean, especially since Star Wars is a, is known for finding creative ways for villains not to die. I mean, you know... Yeah, like, well, at least the extended universe. Uh, I guess Mandalorian too. Well, I mean, I feel like you know Luke leaping off the catwalk in Empire Strikes Back, you know, made it so he couldn't kill Vader, or that, or even like the Force Awakens is one of my favorite ones. I mean, it's kind of silly, but I like it that you know an earthquake separates Rey and Kylo. <laughs> it's like ah, that should have to wait till another day. I, I could just imagine, like, when they broke that in the writer's room. I've got it. There's got to be something that divides them. It's an earthquake, and they physically can't be near each other. How cool <laughs> would that be? Think about the subtext. <laughs> oh, there's the, there, there'd be subtext. There'd be subtext. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or the, I mean, the amazing thing is, to me, in Revenge of the Sith, like, the, the two epic duels, like, all four of the combatants survive. <laughs> Which yeah, yeah, me, no yeah. One. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem with it all. These movies get a lot of grief, and a lot of it is is founded, you know? <laughs> a lot of it is things that also bug me for it. Uh, but damn it, I still like them. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I say all this stuff with, like, with with affection. I mean, these, I mean it's, 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 part of, it's part of the fun, you know? And, and I'll, I'll, but I'm speaking of which, I'll, I'll say something I like about... Uh, Solo, I I liked the I, I like Dryden Voss's weird uh like tower yacht ship thing like that was a really kind of cool Star Wars thing we hadn't seen and I, and I liked the idea of this sort of palace this pleasure dome floating through the the galaxy and it's it's almost like this nonstop party or something and I I, I mean I would totally like to see you know. 
screw it. I'll just I'd see an entire movie like just set in that that thing with everybody partying and you know. Yeah, exactly. Sexpo, the Star Wars story or something. Yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, when she said uh, when she said Dryden is on his yacht, I was thinking like, wait, a yacht in Star Wars? What's that gonna look like? And I thought it delivered. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, and by the way. Uh, I know they're, I think they're going to create like an adult section of Disney plus like that. You have to be 18 to sign into or something. So, so maybe Sexpo to star Wars story is not as, as far fetched as it might seem. <laughs> I feel like we're a few years away from that, but, uh, I'm, I'm ready when it happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what else? I, I, I think we kind of nailed it. Solo isn't the best movie. Is it the worst movie out of all the Star Wars movies? Well, I mean, I, okay. Here, here's a here's a hot take uh, for you. Um, I, I think that the two anthology films, Solo and Rogue One, are both the worst out of all the movies, and not not because they're specifically bad, just uh, just because to me, like, they're the movies I'm the the least interested in. I, I mean. I'll yeah. even go as far as to say that I felt more emotionally invested in Anakin and Padme than young Han Solo or uh, or Jin Erso, and certainly in the sequel trilogy, like even in a film as flawed as as Rise of Skywalker, like I I felt I I mean I felt more invested in that too. Like I mean I mean as as grumpy as I got about the sequel trilogy, like I always cared about where Ray was uh, you know gonna end up i always cared about whether she lived or died i was always curious to see whether or not uh, uh kylo was going to be redeemed or if he'd just descend deeper into darkness and i i just can't say that about any of the anthology films like i i never it never really mattered to me like what happened to to Jin or the young version of han and i, I think that's because just those films neither of them grips me and it, it's not it's not even necessarily because of like the how how well they were made or how badly they were made it's just because the the stories they were telling didn't seem to matter as much like in the grand scheme of things but that's like i mean like i mean it's bizarre to me honestly that that solo has like had better reviews than the rise of skywalker like i don't even understand like how that happened i mean i know how it happened rotten tomatoes is messed up but you know <laughs> yeah yeah for sure I think everybody thought it was like a C minus movie, and so, therefore it's somehow fresh. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's that's probably true. But also, I think Solo has like inherent fun in it. Han Solo is fun, and so people go there with lower expectations because it's about fun. <laughs> There's nothing that lowers expectations like fun. <laughs> yeah, get out of here, fun. I want a serious, dark, brooding movie Yeah, that's yeah. also for 18 and over people on Disney+. Plus. It reminds me of a thing on Red Letter Media where they, they said, uh, you know, like, Rogue One gave us what the fans want, and what the fans want is Darth Vader hacking people to death, which I don't know if that's entirely true, but it may be true on, on some level, you know. I won't presume to say I know what Star Wars fans want, but I feel like sometimes the things that people think they want are stupid. And we'll get into that on Rogue One for sure. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> it's not my favorite movie in the world. I liked Rogue One more than Solo, I think, but I haven't watched it since it first came out in the theater. 
So uh, to be continued on another episode for sure. Yeah, I need to watch Rogue One again. It's, it's been it's been well, it's been five years now. <laughs> Man, time flies. Time flies. Um, do you have anything else you want to add about Solo? God, I, I can't remember if I said this already, but I I I, I like the idea of what it could have been. Like I, I like the idea of you know Han, you know, trying to get back to his girlfriend. Like I think that's really simple and romantic, and it, it could have been good. They they screw it up by. Uh, by having you know Kira you know come back into the story too too quickly, but but initially like I felt like that was like real like there was a little bit of emotional pull to that like you know I got a girl back home but you know I gotta raise some money so I can get a <laughs> ship for her like if the whole movie were just that like that I would have been much more on board for it because that was just such you a know kind what? Of simple human thing. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think there's a way they could have done it where maybe he returned home and she was gone and he and either she doesn't find her or finds out she works for Crimson Dawn. You know, if they had yeah. long played it, that could have worked. Yeah, yeah. I uh well I mean, you know, I'll, I'll cite a a sci-fi movie that I think doesn't get enough love. <laughs> um John Carter has a really beautiful scene of a a flashback to John Carter, you know, returning home from the war and finding that his wife and children have been slaughtered. I mean, it's it's one of the best scenes in the the film, and you see that scene, and and you instantly understand who John Co John Carter is and why he's behaved the way he's behaved. I think if Han came home to find that you know his uh, the person who he thought was the love of his life had betrayed him or really was dead, I mean, that would have kind of explained you know why he is the way he is at the beginning of a a, a new hope whereas with, with you know Kira kind of you know going off at the end it's so clear to us that she is uh is going is she lied to Han to protect him from Darth Maul so uh, the the betrayal just doesn't sting as much because it's mm -hmm. it's an altruistic betrayal yeah yeah and like we said earlier like still she's quote unquote a good person and, yeah. and that that doesn't lend itself to nuance if we know their intentions even even when they you know betray somebody did, did you notice in this movie how amelia clark's bangs reappear and disappear <laughs> no i i swear to god like there there is a scene in the middle of the movie where she has no bangs and, and it's not like they're clipped back or anything they're just like not there and so, and then they're back in the a scene after that. So I, I don't know. Like the, see, the, these are the mysteries that transfix me, you know, as much as the mysteries of the force. I want to know what happened to the bangs, you know, Re release the bangs cut. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> well, I, I got nothing else, man. I mean, the movie is simple and yet they complicated it. By the end of it, I'd like Han Solo less, and that's not what these movies are supposed to be doing. No, no, yeah, I, I think I feel the same way. Like it just, I mean, I, I think it's realistic to uh, imagine that when he was a young man, Han Solo was an annoying pipsqueak. But I'm not sure I want to see him as an annoying pipsqueak. I don't know if that's a thing I needed in my life. So, there. Yeah, I, I just want to see him at his peak, and I did. And this just Anakin Skywalkered him. I don't really care about that part of him, and and 
seeing it the second time has just kind of reaffirmed that for me. It's a fun world. Uh, I love Donald Glover. I love Paul Bettany. I love the music. But that's really about it. I mean, you said he, you, the Anakin Skywalker to him. What if uh, when he was doing the Kessel Run, he was like, yippee! <laughs> or, no! <laughs> or he blinked? Oh. <laughs> Shout out to the Ewoks. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this will be our shortest episode because uh, I think this movie didn't merit the amount of energy that we put into it and that will show with its 40 minute runtime <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah we, we, despite the many faults of the last jedi that's you know <laughs> there, there's a movie that merits a long episode for better and worse yes yes <laughs> at least i don't know it felt like it was really trying this one just seemed like like you said star wars mad libs they were just filling in the blanks yeah yeah yeah, it's, uh, yeah, absolutely. And you can fill in the blanks at Bespin Ice on Twitter. You can find me at IamJosho85. Ben is at T-H-O Bennett with two N's and two T's, as well as T-H-O-MovieReviews.WordPress.com, right? Correcto mundo, yes. Oh, good. I, I, uh, I forgot to write it down this time. Do you have anything <laughs> uh, exciting in the cinematic universe? Uh, that we can look out for. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think I am. I'm gonna write a review of a uh, Shang Chi. Uh, uh, working on some working on some podcasts. Uh, hoping to eventually get a podcast out about the the Green Knight. That's that's kind of a a longer project, but uh, but yeah. Oh, which oh by the way, I'm glad I brought that up because uh, Aaron Kellyman, who plays uh, um. Enfys Nest and Solo has a very small and memorable role in the the Green Knight. So uh, justice for Aaron Kellyman at last. <laughs> <laughs> at last, at last. Yeah, you mentioned that last episode. I still haven't watched it, but I know it's going to VOD pretty soon. So I'm hoping to catch it at home. Right on. Where all epic movies should be seen. Just oh, kidding. absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Well, then, um, I guess we'll see y'all next month. I have nothing else to add, but, uh, you know, if you have any uh, accolades, complaints, anything at all, you can also get in touch with us at BespinIceCreamPod at gmail.com. The Force will be with you, always. <laughs>